For the past few weeks, we've been looking at some of the stories of Genesis, and particularly looking at them as uh, asking, what can these stories tell us about our families? So we're looking at various families that are um, recorded in Genesis, and today we've come to the story of Hagar. Now, this may be a story you know well. If you were in Bible class, hopefully you studied it already today. Uh, Maybe a story you know a little bit about. You may not know this story at all. If you don't know it at all, I think you may go home after this and read Genesis chapter 16 because uh, one of the interesting things about this particular story is that it kind of mirrors uh, complicated family structures like we have a lot in our society today. Uh, but we're going to pick up the story in the middle. This is Hagar, who is a servant girl of Sarah, who is carrying Abraham's child. Now, if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. Let's stand, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Hagar has run off from the family, and God finds her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. That is a compliment, by the way. All right. (laughs) His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. El Roy. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me, and that is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, today's sermon is one of those sermons that's not for everyone. I'm sorry, it's hard to come up with those. But this one's not for everyone, so if as we get into this, you decide that you don't need to hear about that, that's not the topic that will be helpful to you, I just want to start by giving you my permission and my blessing to tune out. Now, don't deny that you don't know how to do that, all right? I know that we have different things we do. You can sleep. Some of you are pretty good about sleeping with your eyes open, I've noticed that. That's, that's a, quite a talent to come by. Uh, count the number of uh, lights in the chandeliers. That's always a good one as well. If you got a baby nearby, then certainly that will entertain you as well. So anyway, uh, if this is not a topic that you want to hear about, then that's fine. Just my part, I will be brief and try not to get too loud and yell and bother you, okay? On the other hand, if this is a topic that you kind of identify with, then I want to invite you to let this story out of Genesis 
kind of inform you and your way. I want to invite you to lay your lives beside this story. And perhaps out of this story of a little Egyptian slave girl, you might gain some godly wisdom on how to address a certain situation that you find in your life as well. The topic of today is family conflict. And this sermon and this story is really only for those of you who have ever had any problems in your family. I'll I'll give you a moment to decide whether or not this is going to work for you. You ready? Okay. Those of you who want to go on the journey, let's go. This is the story of Hagar, a young Egyptian servant girl, probably picked up by Abraham and Sarah from Pharaoh himself, maybe, when they were down in Egypt. And you remember that story and that mess that happened? Well, this girl, maybe 18, 19 years old, is uprooted from her home, and now she's the servant girl for Sarai. And she travels up into this strange land, and there she begins working with and for this family. Now, I do want to warn you that in some ways what happens in her story, things are very different from anything that will probably ever happen to you. However, I think if you let it, you'll find that there's a lot of similarities here as well. And that some of the very things that drive you the craziest were going on back then too. As I said, this is a story about conflict and tension within a family. And one of the first things that this story points out to us is that conflict in a family or in any group is rarely just between two people. We tend to think of it that way especially in our families. I wish so-and-so got along with so-and-so. You know, and when we see this, this thing going back and forth between two people in our family. But this story points out something very interesting. And we know this from our studies of psychology as well, that almost every conflict involves at least three people. It really takes three people to get a good argument going and sustained. There's a role for each one to play. Now, in a very simplistic way, you can identify those roles as you usually have a victim, you have a persecutor, and you have an enabler who's keeping it all stirred up and letting it happen. It's like a three-legged stool. And skipping ahead to the end of the story, spoiler alert, okay? If you don't want to hear this, close... No, that if you want to open the door for conflict to be resolved, the only thing that you can do is to identify what role you're playing in the conflict and change it. Now, no guarantee that that's going to stop everything, but it's all that you can do, is figure out where am I in this conflict In this tension that's happening in my family, what am I doing to keep it going? And what can I do differently? Let's keep working on the Hagar story and see what happens there. 
The situation as this story opens is that Abraham and Sarah still don't have their child. Been 10 years since God had told Abraham he was going to have a, a descendant. He would have a child. And no child had yet been born. And you can imagine how Sarah and how she feels and what's going on in her mind and her life and maybe even interaction with Abraham and as they discuss this that, well, God said it was going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. And, and Sarah obviously is becoming quite angry about all of this and she's blaming a lot of people and blaming even God himself for this child not being born. So Sarah now comes up with a plan. And let me read you her own words of this plan. She goes to her husband, Abraham, and says, You see that the Lord is keeping me from bearing children. I always love to hear sort of what's going on in someone's mind. (laughs) The Lord is keeping me from bearing children. So you take my slave girl, and it may be through her, that I can have children. Okay, now stop. Don't get sidetracked here by thinking, whoa, that's kind of weird. It is kind of weird in our way of thinking about things. It's certainly a different way than New Testament Christianity presents family life. But back in their culture, this was something that was quite a part of the deal. That if a woman could not have children, she could give one of her slave girls as another wife. Now, this isn't just some illicit thing going on here, but but that Abraham would marry Hagar, and that if Hagar had children, those children would not only be known as Hagar's children, but also Sarah's as well, since she was in charge and she was the mistress. So there's really nothing morally or out of the ordinary for their culture wrong with this plan. The thing that's wrong with it is that it's Sarah's plan, not God's plan. Now already in our study of Genesis, we have run into what the primary definition of sin is. We hit that right off the bat in chapter 3, didn't we? Whenever Adam and Eve, knowing what God had planned for them and knowing what God had told them to do, they decided they would do what they wanted to do, that they could make their own decisions, they could figure out what was good for them. Yeah, God said, don't eat of this tree, it's bad for you. Well, it looks good to me, I think I will. And that's what sin is. is It's not only just the awful, sultry, illicit things that we think about and sometimes do. It's just that simple decision that I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of what God has said. That's why every one of us stands at one point in our life and confesses, I am a sinner. Now, usually... When we do this, or the stories at least up to this point, what happened to Adam and Eve when they did that? Boom! They suddenly suffered the consequences, didn't they? Everything went south immediately as soon as they disobeyed God. However, we also have to deal with the fact that that's not true all the time. Sometimes when we decide to do what we want to do, instead of what God wants us to do, things can go pretty well for a while. 
In fact, we may get into some situations we kind of enjoy. And everything's rolling along and we think this is great. I'm doing what I want to do for a while. And that's what happened in this story. It seems to be the thing to do. Abraham is yet to have a son. Sarah obviously can't have babies. Let's bring in Hagar. It's like I asked my class I was teaching a few moments ago. Does anyone foresee any problems arising in this situation? (laughs) All right. Hagar does become pregnant. And that's when the problems begin. And like we said, there are three people involved in this situation. Hagar is very proud of the fact that she is carrying Master Abraham's baby. And let's just play that in our mind. I, I mean, I don't know if you, you don't know what Hagar looks like, but in your mind, pull up Hagar's face and get the expression just right, okay? Every time she looks at Sarah, it's just a little down her nose. Because Sarah was supposed to be the boss. She is the big lady over all the other women and all the domestic affairs for this huge family and clan. But here's this little servant girl. And she's going to have Abraham's baby. And suddenly she's just a little too good for Sarah. Well, Sarah reacts by just going bonkers. Suddenly, she is the victim. She had nothing to do with this, right? I mean, she runs to Abraham and she says, you're going to have to do something about this woman because look what's going on. And she's mad at God. She's mad at Hagar. She's mad at Abraham. And she's just spewing venom about this situation because after all, it's not her fault. She was just trying to be helpful. Abraham becomes totally helpless. He just melts. Every time I think of that, I think about one of my sons. I'm not going to identify which one, although two of them are in the room right now, and it was neither one of them. (laughs) Just want you all to know. Okay. The other son, I can remember, was kind of a hefty boy. And he got to that age where it just, after a while, you couldn't carry him anymore. Your arm was just, but he didn't want to walk. And you would put him down and say, you got to walk. Dad's tired of carrying you. And he would just put him down and his just legs would just collapse and he'd just fall down on the ground. He was helpless. That image always comes to my mind when I think about situations like this where there's conflict going on and someone's just going, I can't do anything. I don't know what to do. I'm helpless. There's Abraham. Do you think he's contributing to the tension in the family? He tells Sarah, you're just going to have to handle it, honey. You know, you're in charge. You take care of it. And she does. She switches from being the victim. Now she's the persecutor, the oppressor. And she starts making life miserable for Hagar. She has the power now because Abraham had said she did. Well, we don't know what she did to Hagar. I want to like Sarah well enough to think that she didn't actually physically beat her. But I don't know. 
You know, the little games that we come up to play with people where we kind of just let them know that nothing is good and nothing is right, we didn't invent those games. I think Sarah knew them as well. And maybe it was her tone of voice. Maybe it was her language. Maybe, I don't know, but she made life miserable for Hagar. And Hagar's answer to the situation, she runs away. And that's where God finds her. After here, this little, young, pregnant woman out in the desert, hadn't really thought through enough to take provisions. She just was running away. And God comes to her. She's the first person in all the Bible to encounter the angel of the Lord. Uh, Angel of the Lord is technical language. You need to sometime run that reference in your concordance or something and see what all happens in in the Old Testament that is done by the angel of the Lord. Not just any angel, not just one of these messengers, not Michael or Gabriel or one, but the angel of the Lord really is God himself. And so God encounters her and asks her a very, very important question. A question that each one of us, especially when we arrive at an impasse in our family lives, need to ask ourselves. He says, Hagar, where did you come from and where are you going? He he calls on her to stop and think, how did I get here? What has happened? Let me go back and look about what's happened, all the events, what I've done. And then let's look ahead and see if I keep doing this, where will I end up? Where will this path that I'm on right now take me? And is that a place I want to go? Aren't those marvelous questions to ask any time in our lives, really, about what has brought us to this point and if we keep doing what we're doing, where we're going to end up? But it's especially important when things are not going well to ask ourselves, can I do something different? And that's the exact thing that God is going to tell Hagar. Hagar, it's not working for you very well, walking around, strutting around, trying to be misimportant because you're carrying Abraham's child. How's that gone for you? How has your looking down and smugness and contempt on Sarah worked out? Why don't we try something different? Why don't you go back home, and why don't you treat Sarah with respect? Because after all, if we can put words in God's mouth, that's kind of dangerous, isn't it? Can't you see, Hagar, that she's a threatened woman? Can't you see that she sees you holding all the cards? Can't you see how she feels so inadequate right now? And if you can but give her your respect... Maybe you can build something back there and you can make her feel more confident and things will get better. Now, I want to throw in one, wait a minute here. Here is God sending Hagar back into a situation where she had gone through some kind of abuse. That is not the answer for every person that suffered abuse. Please, please, please don't jump to that conclusion. That is Hagar's answer. Because after all, remember, Hagar was part of the problem, wasn't she? She was the one that really had set a lot of this in motion as far as all the conflict that's going on. That was God's answer for Hagar. I have talked to women 
who are coming out of abusive situations, especially physical abuse and severe emotional abuse. And the last thing I'm going to tell them is to go back. I'm going to find them a safe place to go and a safe place to get away from the jerk. Excuse me. Anyway, (laughs) you know? But in this instance, as God sees everything and knows everything, he says you've got to do something differently. And this is what you need to do. And Hagar responds by following God's direction. And as she does, she has a great awareness. She realizes that even though she's some little young slave girl who has gotten herself in the middle of a family conflict, hundreds of of miles away from mama and where she had grown up, all the things that she could list that's wrong with her life, she realizes that God sees her and that he cares. That God actually knows her name and that God will be with her. And she therefore names God the God who sees. You know, we are always naming God. If we have any meaningful name for God, it's always had a personal experience with Him too. Uh, Can't chase that rabbit too far, but just a good good question to ask yourself is, what do you call God? The God who is distant? The God who doesn't know me? The God who I'm trying to run away from? The God who is my shield? The God who has put His finger under my chin and lifted my head? the God who walks with me, the God who cares. Hagar goes back. And things progress along for at least about 16 years. This story is just so rich. And if you need any proof of inspiration of the Bible, it's stories like this, isn't it? Because it's just so real. And this story calls us to two things on two different levels. It calls us to understand that when we are in conflict with someone else, that we have to own the fact that we're a part of the problem. And that we have to figure out what it is that we are doing that is helping this conflict continue. And through counsel, through prayer, find a way to change our behavior, and change what we're doing. But this story also calls upon us in whatever situation we are in to know that we have a God who sees us and cares for us, sustains us, and loves us, and is here to help us make those changes so that we can live a life not only with Him in eternity, but a life of more peace here on earth. We're going to stand, we're going to sing a song, and some of our leaders will be on the perimeters of this room, and and please, I don't know what's happening in your life, I don't know what's happening in your family, I don't know what's going on in your soul, but if there is turmoil there, and you need the peace that God can bring, and you need good, godly people to pray with you, to counsel with you, to help you see what that next step might be, then Take your time right now, and during this song, go to these men. If you can't find you, make yourself do that, don't walk out the door. 
After it's over, after our service is over, some of these men will gather in the parlor, which is right down that back hallway. Make your way down there because we truly do care and we want to help. Let's stand and sing.